Hi, my name is Christine Gowdy. I'm co-founder and CEO of Granville Biomedical. And Femtech to me is the advancement of women's health through innovation. Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and in today's episode, I interview Christine Goody, co-founder and CEO of Granville Biomedical. Granville Biomedical designs female anatomy models to enhance healthcare training, advance patient education, and innovate device demonstrations and innovate medical devices. Currently in medical school in North America, y'all are going to freak out about this. In medical school North America, we are currently using cow tongues, orange peels, and car wash sponges to learn how to do pelvic exams and how to put stitches around the vagina and the vulva. Let me say that again. Cow tongues, orange peels, and car wash sponges are considered best-in-class vulva simulation models for medical trainees. Granville makes lifelike 3D-printed anatomically correct models of the female uh, genital anatomy that can be used by medical students for training or by doctors hoping to give their patients a better understanding of their treatment. Some of their models have tears, mimicking injuries common during childbirth, which gives trainees an opportunity to practice suturing. Did you know that about 16% of women with a vaginal childbirth will tear and require stitches, yet medical school students very rarely have any hands-on experience or training repairing that damage? If they had had any training on the pelvic floor, vulva, or vagina, or anus, stooches for that matter, they practiced on sponges. Yeah, that's insane. If you are in a school or business that could benefit from anatomically correct female genital models, then check out granvillebiomedical.ca. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Christine. Welcome to the show. Hey, Brittany. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it is awesome to have you here. It looks like you're in like an art room. Yeah, this is my uh, home studio, so to speak. So uh, I do a lot of creative things in here. (laughs) I love that. You know, I think that innovation and entrepreneurship is it's an art, right? Like being able to like see this vision while you're still on a white canvas, you know, Absolutely. That's exactly what it is. And my background was in art. And so it's a perfect segue into my entrepreneurial endeavors oh my as God. I continue to grow. Yeah. Well, then let's get, let's just jump into it. So our first question <laughs> is always, we want to know our guests background because most people don't, you know, they're not in kindergarten saying I want to pioneer vulvas, right? Like we usually <laughs> somehow end up here. And so uh, where are you from? What did you study? Did you have a career before this? And then how did you end up here? Yeah, thanks. Um, I started off in design, 
uh, my mid twenties, and uh, I went to I went to art school, basically design school in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Um, I just knew from a young age I wanted to be a designer of some sort, but I didn't know the name of it because when we were teenagers, there was no title of like graphic designer, industrial designer. There was no talk about that stuff. So uh, I just had to kind of figure it out on my own. Uh, it turns out I was always of the industrial design kind of like that's how my creativity lended itself. And I always wanted to build things and make things. Went on, did my master's in Ottawa, uh, Ontario, Canada after that and went very deep down the industrial design, product design rabbit hole. And I just knew I always wanted to make medical devices, which sounds so boring on the outside, but it's such a cool field because there's so many issues and problems and, and design problems that need to be fixed. And I just feel like it's the perfect place for my, my crazy creative mind to thrive. Um, I grew up in Newfoundland, Canada, St. John's, Newfoundland, Canada, and uh, that's the most easternly city in Canada. So you're basically out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And I ended up traveling uh, all over the world after, you know, high school. I visited about 23 different countries. I ended up living in Vancouver, Calgary, Montreal, Ottawa, Halifax. I'm now back in Halifax. And uh, our, our team and my company has just uh, grown and expanded uh, to, to, each, to each coast in Canada. So we haven't entered the States yet, but that's my, that's my next goal down the road. Oh my gosh. Any way that we can help you, let's do that. Um, what is Granville Biomedical? Yeah, Granville Biomedical is a women's health tech company that myself and my co-founder started. My co-founder is a registered nurse. And uh, her and I met on a medical outreach mission in Bangladesh in 2018. And we were there because we joined a group, a volunteer group that were on their way over there to um, host a conference all about safer delivery practices um, in, in birthing essentially. And my co-founder was there to help teach some of those courses. I was there to help teach people how to 3D print different types of anatomical models, including vulva models and anything else that might be beneficial to them on the ground in that country. And her and I just started chatting about, you know, there's so much innovation happening in healthcare, but there's almost, there's, there's so much potential, you know, and especially in that simulation space. So we started designing simulation models that replicate female anatomy um, so that healthcare practitioners and students especially can get the hands-on training that's required to feel comfortable, confident, competent in their practice. And uh, in healthcare, women's health has always been, uh, there's been a huge disparity in research and device design. And I just felt like there was a big gap there that we needed to fill. And so Crystal and I embarked upon what we thought would be a pretty linear path forward. And it was, it's, it's been a wild ride, but mm -hmm. that's, that's what we do. So in, in very simple terms, we make vaginal models for people to train with and, and teach with. I have so many questions. I'm so excited. Yeah. This is amazing. My first question <laughs> is, can I have a vaginal model? Because... <laughs> I currently have a 3D printed clit. I have a 3D printed uterus over here on this side. For anyone who's watching this on YouTube, I got cool. that. I got this. I practically bring this everywhere I go because it's like the best, your little, my 3D printed clit. Like I just bring this thing everywhere. It's the best conversation starter. 
Um, and everyone has so many questions. So I would love a vagina model if that's even like thing that you do, like in terms I, of sending we, it to people. Yeah, we can hook you up with one of those. No problem. Oh my God, that yeah. would be amazing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so when did you go on this treat, uh, retreat and like, uh, and find Crystal? When, how long ago was that? Uh, so that was about two and a half years ago. Okay. And uh, we started the company shortly after us meeting. Sometimes you just know. I feel like sometimes friends become fast friends. Co-founders become co-founders. Everything's when they feel right and things start to flow. Um, it's kind of interesting how, how things happen fairly quickly when yeah. you just let it organically start, you know, moving forward. So her and I met, we were fast friends. We were fast co-founders um and we're still together it's like she's my uh she's like my partner in crime here my partner in vagina making <laughs> I love it that's how I feel yeah. about my co-founder Dr. Julie Hakeem we're, we're team vagina you know <laughs> nice yeah it's awesome um so what did medical students use before your models in order to learn about vulvas and what they should be doing well, that's the crazy part. And they still, to this day, use things like cow tongues and car washing sponges. So I always joke and say, that's going to be the title of my first book, because who, who the hell is using that in healthcare? Why is that okay? How come no one questions that? And why, how come other people aren't doing something about that? And so when we did, when we did a lot of digging and a lot of research in that, it's, you know, there's a lot of co competitors out there who are making um, comparable products, but they're so expensive that the healthcare institutions and educational uh, med schools, they can't afford to buy them. Mm -hmm. So with the rise of 3D printing, we just feel like there's no excuse anymore. We can make pretty much anything and so can anybody for that matter. So let's just actually, you know, give women the respect they deserve and have realistic vaginal models to train with as opposed to rehearsing suturing techniques on oranges, cow tongues, car washing sponges. And, and really that stemmed from, at one point, there was a couple of studies 10 years ago that said, oh, car washing sponges are good enough. This is good enough to rehearse the repair of lacerations that occur during childbirth. Mm -hmm. and, and you'll feel fine when you go in to do this in real life because you'll get that training. And so the medical students that we've dealt with said, oh, hell no. Like we do not feel prepared because you go in there and a woman has just given birth and quite often it's a resident who's doing the suturing. And uh, they said like the, the birthing room is, is, you know, there's probably 10 people in there, the partner, the doctor, your supervisor, students. And they said the pressure and, and everything that goes with that is you can't prepare for that, especially without realistic hands-on training. There's blood, there's poop, there's literally a yeah. baby crying, there's amniotic fluid, there's tears. I can't even, and like, oh my God. And then being under there and being told like you practice on a sponge, I'm sure you just get it done. And yeah. we know from our previous interviews on this podcast that that suture is actually super, super critical to the rest of that woman's life in terms of uh, her incontinence, pelvic uh, organ prolapse is the number yep. one reason women are put in nursing homes, comfortable sex, sexual totally, function. Yeah. I'm totally screwed about having kids. I'm 29 and people ask me, are you going to have kids? And I'm like, dude, honestly, Femtech Focus has screwed me because I've learned <laughs> what happens to vaginas. Like I've mm -hmm. learned and, you know, I like not painful sex. I like not peeing my pants. I like, 
even fecal incontinence is a thing that we don't never talk about, even taboo within femtech. So anyways, I'm getting on my soapbox, but I'm feeling you. This is super important. Yeah. Um, how, so you 3D print this? So when I think of 3D printing, it's like what I held up, right? It's like this hard plastic thing. So yeah. that's not what you're printing, right? Can you tell us more about what material you're printing in? Yeah, so you can 3D print with softer, more pliable materials too. Um, but we just basically make molds and we fill them with silicone and we make vaginas. We also make penises. One of our first customers, it's funny because we launched the company and we were very female focused. One of our very first customers was a male incontinence company and said, Christine, can you do male anatomy? And, you know, of course we can do either, or we just chose to stay in the women's lane. Mm -hmm. um, and that was one of our first customers. So it just goes to show there's a need for that kind of simulation training uh, for, for right across the board. And, and that company was actually just struggling with demonstrating their medical device to the clinicians who would eventually prescribe them. Mm -hmm. So there's just something to be said about, you know, the simplistic nature of simulation and how needed it is. And, and the healthcare industry right now is just so, it's so ready for innovation in every single way. And it's starting to now open up to more people who are creative that want to find solutions for some of that stuff. But yeah, it's, it's just basically, you know, 3D printing molds and making whatever body part you need to with silicone. Okay, so do you also make uh, different molds that have different types of labias? Yeah, we do. Um, so we have postpartum and also nulliparis. So uh, a uterus and a vagina that's never given birth and then one that has given birth. Wow. And those are for two different targeted audiences, of course. So we have one model that helps to demonstrate the insertion of a menstrual cup. You wouldn't believe how many women just have no idea how to insert a menstrual cup and how would we know because yeah, how would we know it's not intuitive it's like this big you know cup and when you see that on the on the shelf in the drugstore I don't know people are kind of intimidated to even try but there's a simple solution every doctor's office in the world should have a vaginal model where they teach young girls here's how you insert a tampon here's what a menstrual cup looks like here's where that goes and even, you know, when you go to a doctor and say, hey, I'm interested in contraceptives and specifically maybe IUDs, mm -hmm. they usually just sketch you a little diagram on a piece of paper or Google it in their office and show you horrific pictures of an IUD being inserted. But, you know, what if they could just show you in their office? It's not terrifying. Here's the actual IUD. Here's the tube it goes through. Here's the procedure. Here's the model that would simulate your vaginal opening and whatnot. And um, I just feel like there, we need more transparency with women's health. It's just so shrouded with mystery. And that makes you feel ashamed of your body, right? From the time you're a young girl, you don't talk about vaginas. I called my vagina moo moo until I was 10 years old, maybe older. You know, I'd probably still be calling it that if I didn't learn any different. And it's just like, it's always just so shrouded with mystery. And, you know, Crystal, my co-founder and I just said, it's just enough. Like, it's just time. Like, let's give up all this bullshit of, you know, pretending females don't have anatomy. Like, let's just bring it to the forefront and put the emphasis on it that it deserves to make this a priority in healthcare as opposed to a footnote in a medical um, you know, training module. And, and that's what we really intended to do from the get-go. Are you able to also simulate the uh, uniqueness of a vagina in terms of its pressure and like 
um, because I'm asking this, let me give you some context. I, I consult a lot of our femtech founders and a lot of them want to put something in a vagina, whether it's a med device, a new kind of tampon, a new whateverness, right? And, um, you know, they're looking for a model to test it out in because it uh, turns out vaginas are not just like this big open cylinder. <laughs> you know, they're actually like folded over and there's like pressure and there's liquids and there's movements and all these things. And so are we able, is it, is the technology advanced enough to like kind of incorporate those other features? Yeah, I can't see why not. I mean, we don't currently do that, but the texture and pliability of silicone mm -hmm. is so close to human tissue. It is very close. So there's definitely ways you can do it. We do um, use different textures of silicone for say the muscle or various parts of the female anatomy that would be a little, um, you know, a bit more dense, let's mm -hmm. just say. So there's ways to do that. And I'm sure we could just push the envelope a little harder and actually figure that out. It's a whole new world, like I said, with 3D printing and, and the availability and knowledge that everybody has now to create some of this, this stuff. So absolutely. It's actually a great idea. Maybe we should well, make I'm that as our next I'm just with you. I actually yeah. I do this a lot on our episodes and our interviews. My listeners know this, that I'm always like, what about this? And founders are like, please excuse me. Um, I need to jot that down. I'm yeah. going to go like, can we end this early actually? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's because I see this need, right? There's all these femtech founders that are like, how do I test this thing out? Like I put it in my vagina, put it in my friend's vaginas, but like we need an actual model. Right. And so yeah. this is a huge need. Anyways, you and I should talk more about that. Um, uh, what are other, so med, med school, right. For practicing on this, uh, demonstrations, do you, what are some other reasons that we would need vagina models? Yeah, so when we started, we thought our main priority and our main target audience would be medical schools. Mm -hmm. Turns out it's totally not. Um, it's private private practitioners. So the suturing seems to be like definitely a needed type of model for them to train with in medical schools. Great, and we would love to supply them with those indefinitely. But um, our, our main customers have come from private industry, pelvic floor physiotherapists. Wow. And it's also an area that women don't even know much about. Like you don't even know when would I go see one of those? What do they do? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so pelvic floor physiotherapy seems to be on the rise in Canada for sure. And I'm sure the States is very similar. And what they do is they teach their clients and their patients about different techniques to strengthen the pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if they're having sexual dysfunction, sexual pain, they teach them about dilators to help dilate your vaginal opening. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, I, I don't know enough about pelvic floor physiotherapy to describe things and do it justice, but it's just amazing how they can actually still during the pandemic use, they've been using our models, a lot of our customers to teach and train their patients on Zoom. So they hold up the model. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that. And uh, I feel like that's the future. That's the future. Just retaining, you know, retaining patients and, and gaining new ones during a pandemic or otherwise. And, and all that online training is the future now. So I think there's some huge potential here. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, I wonder, you may or may not know the answer to this, but I wonder the pelvic floor therapists, like, how are they training? Are they training on cow tongues too? Like, or is it like, it's all theoretical and it, it's actually a real woman who it's their patient. It's the first time they're actually doing it. 
you know, because I didn't know what pelvic floor therapy was. I thought it was someone coaching you through kegels, but turns out it's actually like they insert their fingers and they like move, they massage. And I'm like, that's super invasive. Oh my God. I would want the person have having to have done that many a times before they do it to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know how they train in their schooling for that. Um, Quite often in med school, I know they use what's called standardized patients. So it's real people who volunteer and they're paid to go in and let the medical students train on them. Okay. So I I don't think anything like suturing, like nothing of that kind of invasive nature, (laughs) but but like physical exams, touching, feeling, um, any sort of palpation of their body or their skin and conditions you know, female health conditions, I'm sure are similar, but, um, that's a good question. I'm going to look into that and find out how they train because they have to start somewhere, right? Where's the vagina they start with, you know, totally. Yeah, so. um, as you, um, you know, I've, I've heard that like the uterus can actually be tilted like one way or the other. So do you make models that are like that specific? Like they're all different or you have a standard one? Or you, I know you said pre and post birth, but otherwise. We usually stay somewhere in the mid range of what would be, you know, the average of, of different uh, body parts. So um, tilted uteruses, it's funny because, you know, I've heard that term quite a few times, but if you look at the female anatomy, every uterus is tilted. So every uterus is kind of like, if you go up through the vaginal canal, it is kind of tilted back. So um I think that's fairly normal. And, but, you know, this is an answer that most women should know, but we don't know because there's no, so it's so mysterious. I feel like it's easier to find out stuff about the Egyptian pyramids than it is about our own vaginas, right? Like, tilted. Yeah, I'm laughing like because I can remember, um, like, I was early 20s and I had an OB-GYN in my annual saying, oh, you're, you know, your uterus is a little tilted. And I don't know why, but I feel like, oh, I have a tilted uterus. Like I've been, I've been told that too. I've been told that too. And I went home and I cried. That was like five years ago. My OBGYN said the same thing to me. Oh, look at that. You have a tilted uterus. And I was Uh like, should I be concerned? She goes, no, lots of women have it. And then I saw a different OBGYN not too long after that. And she said, I don't know why the doctor said that to you. She said pretty much every woman's uterus is tilted. Like what? It's almost like they just get in the habit of saying that and then give women a complex. Like, oh, there's something wrong with me. As if we need another reason to think something is wrong with me between periods and pain. And you know what I mean? Like we don't need another reason to be paranoid about our vaginas and uteruses. Yeah. Yeah. I remember one time I had a, a guy go down on me and he said, oh, you have a very small clitoris. And I remember being like, tell me more about me, you know, because it was like, I don't even know like what's average. Like my- Wait, what made him an expert? <laughs> I guess he, he had experienced enough <laughs> clitoral stimulation that he had some, uh, as a, a general knowledge of different ones, which is fine. Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I really was like, but tell me more about me because all I have in reference is like medical things, like, you know, like very tech and anatomical diagrams or porn. And so like, I don't even know, like, what am I average? Like, where am I on the scale? So like the, also the tilted uterus thing is like, is that normal? Like, does everyone have that? Right. So we really do need your models. In fact, I would love for there just to be a giant vaginal model, like everywhere. 
just everywhere, you know? Yeah. I, mean, I was saying we should, go ahead. They should be in doctor's offices for sure. For sure. They, they, should, they should be normalizing the aesthetics of a vagina and a vulva and just everything to do with female anatomy. But instead it's, it's, it's like shamed. Like you don't talk about it. You don't look at pictures of that, especially not when the vulva are spread. You don't want to ever, you know what I mean? Like you always want to, mm-hmm. Oh, just it, the pictures you see in textbooks are always, everything is closed. The labia is mm-hmm. closed. And so you never really get a real, you know, full frontal of like, we, here's what it looks like if it's spread open. And that's probably why you're like, is my clitoris too small? Is it too big? Is it, you know, what's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. But that is not even a question we should be asking ourselves. I'll tell you why. I bet, well, penis size might be different for men, but I don't think men analyze their own bodies the way that we do. They're not as hard on themselves as we are because mm-hmm. we analyze everything from our breasts to our, you know, our labia, to our clitorises, to our anuses. And is this normal? Is this okay? Is it pretty? Is it ugly? Is it this? Is it that? And um, it's just unfortunate that that is how we are raised, but well, we're working on fixing that. We're working on that stigma. Uh, you know how little boys always draw circumcised penises everywhere. Like that's just what they do. They doodle penises and they're always <laughs> circumcised, which by the way, uncircumcised, like I have a whole theory that's general mutilation, but whatever, we'll put a pin in that for now. Um, but I feel like that normalizes it for guys like, oh, that's what our stuff looks like, you know, like, but if yeah. girls could draw vulvas, if we could draw, if we were allowed to doodle on our desks in school and draw vulvas, we may be a little bit more comfortable, like, oh, yeah, you know, those are what right. they look like, you know? Right, right. Totally. I, I agree 100%. Um, are your, th- are your 3D, uh, your models, are they um, like have skin tone to it? Yeah. So, so that's the thing. Like a lot of the competitors out there, they have one skin color and it's orange. It's basically peach. Okay. And so like, like when Crystal like and I were in suntan. Yeah. Suntan. And the companies that make the pigment, they call that flesh tone. And I'm like, who, whose flesh tone is that? Like, I don't even, if you're orange, I would suggest you go see a doctor right away. Um, <laughs> But no, the, the pigment is called Flesh Tone. And I decided when we started the company that we were going to make custom skin tones because when we were in Bangladesh, the women said to us, like, how come the vaginas are orange? And I was like, good question. We're going to look into that. <laughs> and so we started like playing around and making different custom colors. Um, someone said to me, well, Christine, why don't you make one your skin tone? Because I'm kind of like an olive, I'm kind of a dark, a dark Caucasian tone. And, um, and I was like, good call. So we started there. We started making this kind of olive colored. Then we started making um, darker African skin tones because we started selling products into, um, well, they were going into West Africa, like Sierra Leone. Okay. And speaking of mutilation, they deal with female genital mutilation there. It's um, predominantly the highest rate of female genital mutilation in the world in Sierra Leone and West Africa. It was built very deep into their culture. Um, and so there's an outreach organization called the freedom tree that goes there twice, three times a year and educates the local villagers on the dangers of that procedure and, uh, why it should really be eradicated from the culture because there's no physical, there's no health benefits. In fact, quite the opposite. There's a lot of infections. There's a lot of shame. There's a lot of danger. I mean, a lot of these procedures are performed with um, I would not describe them as medically sanitized or sterile knives or razors or tools. 
And so uh, we also wanted to see that eradicated. So we created a suite of models that reflect the four kinds of female genital mutilation. And we wanted to um, have those in West Africa to help with that educational piece, which was very interesting to see the videos and the photos come back um, of the villagers looking at these models. So, um, so yeah, to speak to the skin tone question, um, it was very important for us to, you know, culturally make sure it's appropriate when people are learning from a, a certain model that it looks like them. And, you know, I get it because the women in Bangladesh at that conference, of course, you know, this was, I would almost say offensive, the fact that we brought a bunch of orange models and it doesn't even reflect Caucasian skin tones at all either. Mm -hmm. so, so we fixed that when we started our own company, we fixed that that was one of our first priorities, like, let's make these appropriate. Let's yeah. make people feel more comfortable with learning because it resembles their own body as opposed yeah. to something in a textbook or something that's orange. Yeah. Do you yeah. ever add pubic hair to it? No, we don't. And if we've asked, we've been asked that question a few times and we've racked our brains. Like, how can we add hair to these models? Um, maybe down the road, uh -huh. but for now they're just, they're just bald essentially. But that gives you also a clearer picture of all the anatomy and the aesthetics. Um, yeah. But it would be interesting if we could figure out a way to add hair to them. Would but then how much hair? Oh, and curly, straight, red, black, like all of You're the kinds right. as well, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I wish I could get a chia pet where I could just pour water on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Think about, this is what I want for Christmas, mom. I want a vaginal chia pet. Um, There's someone out there that could make that. You know that, right? There's definitely someone that could make that for you. I'm certain. Oh my gosh. Well, what are some of your future goals for uh, Granville? Um, so our future goals, well, we're kind of actively pursuing them right now. So when we started the company, it was really a women's health educational company, simulation company. And we wanted, I wanted to evolve it into a medical device company. Like, I don't want to just demonstrate devices on these models. I want to actually be innovating the devices that are options for us to have in our bodies or to work with our bodies or whatever. So last year when COVID struck, um, you know, there was a call in Canada from the government who, who has the ability, talent, skills or whatnot to create, you know, PPE, swabs, anything of that nature to help the Canadian government and the healthcare system. And we put our hand up and said, oh, well, we have a biocompatible printer. We can make nasal swabs. So we had to go through the regulatory pathway through Health Canada, which is the governing body in Canada, to uh, go through all of their very stringent validation studies. And we created a nasal swab for COVID testing. And so ironically, what, what kind of appears to be a bit of a divergence from our main core business is not at all because in our mind, we were like, well, we've always wanted to design pelvic swabs and a very novel, effective pelvic swab for women's health. The government's, the government's asking if we can make a nasal swab for COVID. Well, why don't we do that and push it as far as we can and then leverage a lot of our research and development to create that novel pelvic swab that we've always been talking about Hell making. Oh, yes. So that now opportunity, we've, seizing opportunity. I love it. 
right? So now we got pussies and swabs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so now we have a nasal swab that's going through uh, the healthcare system in Canada and we're going to market right now with the COVID swabs. And in the background, we are designing this really amazing pelvic exam swab that we would love to see implemented um, through a clinical trial and eventually go to market in the next three to five years. So this stuff takes time. Medical devices take a very long time to get to market, but I mean, what a beautiful way to circle back to women's health and make sure the core business is taken care of. We can always sell and produce our vaginal vulva models, mm -hmm. but now it's just a perfect segue into medical devices. And who knows, maybe we start doing IUDs, maybe eventually down the road, we start doing uh, menstrual cups or who knows what else we could end up doing, but it's just a really cool, cool to see us activate those ideas and now evolve into that vision that we had. So I just want to keep going with the medical device space for the future. I love yeah. it. And what are pelvic swabs already in existence or, and they just suck or what's, what's the innovative need that we, why do we need these swabs? Yeah. So with swabs and uh, pelvic exams, quite often they'll do two sample collections, right? So there's a bit of a spatula tool and there's also a swab of sorts. So they do them both separately. And we just feel like, why are we invasively being swabbed twice? Or this, here's the other thing most people don't know. I'm gonna tell you something. This is a secret between me and you. I hope no one's listening. Um, so there's a swab that they use in women's health and it's called a cytobrush, okay? It's a non-sterile brush that looks like a mascara wand, but much longer. I've seen that. There's, yeah. there's a metal tip on the end of it. And quite often after they do it, well, right before they do it, they say, now this might make you bleed a little bit. You might see yep. some spotting after. And so I got my hands on some Cyto brushes as we started moving through this design process. And I went, holy crap, these things are like a weapon, non-sterile. You're telling me it's going to puncture my cervix, chances are, or, or you know, the cervix opening to some extent and cause a laceration that's going to make me bleed. And no one questions that. No one questions. No one questions that. Like, can you imagine if they were putting a mascara wand with a metal tip of a man's penis? I'm pretty sure that never would have come into existence to begin with let alone swab a penis with it and say, this might make your balls bleed. Don't worry about it though. Your testicles will be fine. Like, I just don't think that would have been it approved ever in history. Yeah. yeah, so I, I get it. It was designed with a purpose in mind, uh -huh. but tell you what, I think now is the time to create some new products with a bigger and better purpose in mind. And the bigger, better purpose is women's health and our dignity and also our safety. I don't like the idea of something making me bleed during an exam and then potential for infection and so many other things. So can we please agree that we, it's time for all of this stuff to be innovated and changed and updated and designed by women who know what it's like to have all these exams and procedures done to them, very invasive and, and oftentimes very painful. Yeah. But yeah, we, we've created a swab that basically um, reduces any sort of pain and creates, um, you know, a single specimen collection as opposed to multiple. And I think that's the goal here is I love patient, that. patient safety and simplicity. Yeah. Let's only get one tool inserted instead of two or three. And uh, let's just make the future of women's health more patient focused, yes. focused on the woman. Yeah. What I hear you saying is 
what I hear all day long in femtech is our baseline for like what's acceptable for women is that pain is acceptable. You just have to deal with it. Having blood come out of you, whether you want it or not, that's acceptable. Um, being uncomfortable with your legs up in stirrups, well, that's just part of the deal. And so what I hear you saying is like, even down to the freaking swab, we have uh, said, well, you know, it's good enough because, you know, pain, well, women in pain, you know, like they're always going to feel pain, women in blood, whatever, right? And what we need to do in femtech is say, no, it's 2021. We can create, we, we have rockets landing back down on earth on boats. We can make a swab yeah. that isn't a razor that's going to cut you on the inside and make you bleed and feel really uncomfortable while you're naked under a napkin <laughs> in right? a brightly lit room and it's so cold and it smells like sterile, you know, and they're just like, all right, just deal with it. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, women have a higher threshold for pain, so it's okay. There's just so many excuses that have been made for why things are okay. Like whether it's the healthcare training where they're using cow tongues and, and car washing sponges. Oh, that's, that's good enough. Or it's a swab that's going to cut us and make our cervical opening bleed. That's okay. That's just what they've always used. Why question it now is what basically you're telling people. Yeah. And so I'm questioning it mm -hmm. and, you know, people are going to be upset because they're going to, I've had people say to me, like, who the hell do you think you are? How are you qualified? You're a product designer. You're not a healthcare practitioner. And I, and I say to people, uh, newsflash, you're a healthcare practitioner because you're helping people on the front lines. You don't have time or the skills to be designing stuff in the background. That's what I'm here for. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm here for. So like, tell me your problems. We'll find the solutions kind of attitude, you know? And so I don't think any longer we should be looking at anybody and saying you're unqualified because if someone is creative and identifying problems and finding solutions for that, that should be celebrated and valued. And, uh, you know, if everyone's intentions are good and mine certainly are, then, you know, this is a collective effort and it's going to take an, it's going to take a village to change women's health and, and, even, you know, even more people to change it for the long run internationally. So let's collect as many humans as we can along the way and make this a movement as opposed to a project. And then we're getting somewhere. Mm -hmm. Well, Christine, if anyone questions you, you send them to me. I'll let them know. All right. I'll let them know what you're working on is really freaking important. And you're super qualified because most people who've made stuff for vaginas didn't have one. And so we already have some qualifications that they didn't qualify for. Um, and yes, a movement. That's what I hope Femtech Focus is. You know, we're, we're rallying the troops. We have thousands of listeners all over the world. And, you know, it's just, it's getting, I'm, I'm really excited. At least half of our listeners are actually undergrad and graduate students interested in femtech. So I'm like, <laughs> and we have lots of men too, which I'm excited about because cool, yeah. um, we're not anti-men at Femtech no. Focus. We're pro-men, but pro get you, you know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> and like, don't mansplain my vagina to me. <laughs> right, know? right, so the right. men in our community are fantastic. Well, Christine, yes. this has been so amazing. I have two last questions for you that our listeners love. The first one is if someone wanted to start a femtech company, again, all those aspiring femtech founders we have listening, what is an area in women's health and wellness that you think still needs innovating? Ooh, that's a really good question. I would probably say um, contraceptives. Mm, tell me so more. like, 
like what's our options to take a pill that alters our hormones and make us feel crazy because it makes us feel mentally unstable. That is not a good option or get an IUD that's extremely invasive and no one even tells you how invasive it is until you're lying on your back with a tube inserted through your cervix and, and a device is getting drove up inside you that may or may not stay in place or cause bleeding for six months. Or like, I just think these are all such crazy things that are our options. And I just think the whole entire thing needs to be overhauled with contraceptives for sure. I feel like that's, there's gotta be a better way. There's gotta be a better way. And there's gotta be something that a man can take to take that onus off us. Yes. Like, can we, can we get a break for a minute over here? Like we already carry the children bleed once a month. Can all y'all take the freaking contraceptives <laughs> aside from condoms yeah. and, you know, and do something to help us. So there's gotta be a way. Um, there in my grad school, there was a um, very beautiful black man, Darius. I, I still have a crush on you. If you're listening, I doubt he is, but if so, he was in a lab this is probably why i had a crush on him because he worked in a lab trying to find male contraception and i was like oh my god a man after my heart and wow. i can remember he had um you know in grad school you have a pre-qualifying exam where you're proposing your graduate research and he had this van diagram and one was like female contraceptions and it was like all of these brands all of these things and on the man side it just said uh condom and in the middle of the Venn diagram, it said withdrawal. And I said, what's that? He was like pulling out. I was like, oh, okay. But like, that was it. Like, that was it, right? And they're just like, what well, is not research that a man could take a pill every day or a shot once a month or whatever to make their sperm, whatever, you know, incompatible, not working, can't swim, mm -hmm. whatever. So yeah, contraception, totally there with you. My um, other my other thought, I was just going to quickly interject this yeah. one, is I encourage everyone to look up the history of the speculum. The speculum that everyone has used on them, that's the tool that um, basically expands your vaginal canal so they can perform a pelvic exam or an STI test or any of the above, um, was designed by a doctor in the 1800s. I believe it was 1867. I believe he was from Missouri, something like this. Don't quote me. The the facts are, are well, eluding my brain it. right now. <laughs> yeah, fact check it. Dr. Marion Sims, and he used to use two metal spoons on slave women. And if it didn't hurt them too badly, then he would do it on his Caucasian patients. And he self-proclaimed to hate female anatomy. He thought it was disgusting. And so the statue, he was considered the, the godfather of gynecology. There was a statue of him in New York City they tore it down a few years ago oh because, th because this story came to light that the man, man that designed the tool that's going to crank open our vaginas like a car getting its tire changed actually designed it without any um, care or consideration for the woman. And still to this day, it is a feeling that I don't think anybody enjoys and I think everyone dreads. And so can we all agree that we need to change the speculum ASAP and, uh, and let's just innovate the crap out of that and make it something that's actually not terrifying. And so our team's been working on that for the past year and a bit. Um, but you know, we've got so many irons in the fire. I just, we need more people innovating. We need more people and more ideas, more collaborative design happening internationally. And, um, 
if anyone's listening and they they want to help us or they want to join forces, absolutely, let's do that because it's going to take a lot of people to start changing some of this stuff. Oh my gosh, I love it. And our last question is, what do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now in order to be successful? More women founders, more female mm-hmm. and diverse founders doesn't have to be it could be female identifying it could be transgender whatever but it just needs we need more women approaching female health problems because who knows better right than than us and it's kind of like someone who's designing glasses and you know you need to have a a vision problem so you can design better glasses so if you have 2020 vision then why are you designing glasses if you don't have firsthand experience doing that. So, so I think we just need more diversity as founders to start companies, take chances, um, no more tiptoeing into healthcare. Like I'm not sure if I'm qualified. Creativity right now is welcomed and encouraged in healthcare. Everyone's ideas are valid. And that's the only path forward is to be creative collectively and to start, you know, finding things that are fundamentally wrong with the healthcare system that we've all been overlooking for decades right? Because a speculum is something that everyone has used on them, but no one ever says, well, can we do something about it? It's such a basic thing, right? It's not the next iPhone. It's not the next Tesla. It's like- We're talking about swabs. (laughs) Yeah. Swabs, you know? Yeah. So it's like, let's innovate swabs. Let's innovate speculums. Let's innovate all the things that touch our bodies so that the future generations, maybe one day they'll go in for a pelvic exam and be like, "I, I really enjoyed it. You know, maybe maybe one day it'll be such a different experience for people, but we got to start that now. Yes. yes. Well, Christine, this has been amazing. I cannot wait to get a vaginal model. I'm going to show everyone all the time. Um, You are, I'm going to ship one to you. I'm going to ship one to you, but yeah, our our websites are granvillebiomedical.ca and the new Granville Swab website is granvilleswab.ca. So you could check us out there and uh, Brittany, I'll get your address. You'll get a pussy in the mail. Pussy in the mail. Love it. (laughs) Thank you for listening to my interview with Christine Goody, co-founder and CEO of Granville Biomedical. They are obviously targeting a huge void in women's health simulation training. The consequences of incorrectly suturing the pelvic floor are hugely detrimental to women. If the trainee doesn't have the proper training, a woman can face a lifetime of sexual dysfunction, fecal incontinence, or pelvic organ prolapse. If you're working at a medical school, inventing a medical device, or you're on a mission to educate the world about what vulvas actually look like, then I highly recommend getting your model at granvillebiomedical.ca. Alrighty, Fem fans, please join Fem Tech Focus virtual community and subscribe to our newsletter. You can do all of this by going to femtechfocus.org. While there, you can register for our events. We have a Monday night listening party, bi-weekly webinars called Femtech Fundamentals, and a monthly book club. This month, we are reading Doing Harm, and uh, the author is going to be with us. We do book club the last Wednesday evening of every month. It is so much fun. So even if you didn't read the book, you should attend anyways. It is so awesome. Um, that is all I have for us today. Become a donor of Femtech Focus. We are a 501c3 nonprofit and we operate based on your donations. So please consider becoming a recurring donor. 
All right, Femme fans, until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness. Thank you.